I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the last Sunday after Epiphany, uh, because we moved to Lent right away on Wednesday, as I said, and the readings for today are always on the theme of the Transfiguration. And so we have this liturgical movement where we have the glory of the Lord being celebrated, and then we go into this, so it's all about light and glory, and then we move into this journey of darkness through Lent, through the deepest darkness of Good Friday, and then we come back to new light and glory um, on Easter Sunday. And so we so the, the liturgical function of today is to, to, to sort of symbolize how on our journey of faith, on our journey of transformation, of picking up our cross and following Jesus um, as practitioners of the Christian way, um, we sometimes have to go through dark places. And indeed, it's built into the process of personal transformation. We need to be dying to ourselves and rising to new life all the time. And so any serious Christian... Um, uh, the journey of any serious Christian has something of a Lenten quality at all times. And through that journey, we have this vision of glory that carries us through it, that, that for all of us, I believe, we've had some encounter with the divine that fuels the journey. And so while each day may be a normal day or sometimes a difficult day, we have these encounters or these moments where, where God has burst through our everyday experience and met us. And, and that energy carries us through the journey sometimes. And so that's the kind of liturgical logic of the transfiguration. And then we go through Lent, but Christianity is not just about Lent. It's ultimately about glory. And this Lenten journey is about glory. It's about growing closer to God and removing those veils. So the, so the veils really are the theme that runs through the readings today. Um, we have, of course, the great story of Moses who put on a veil because his shining face was uh, too terrifying for the Israelites. Um, and the, the, uh, the, the, the message of that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to go down too many rabbit holes. There are a lot of them here. But there's a, there's a clear theme in the Old Testament that God is too big to be viewed. You can't see him. If you look at God, you will die. And when Moses was speaking face to face with God, the amazing thing was that he didn't die, that he had the kind of stature that he could talk directly to God and hear directly from God. And so the commandments given to Moses, the law of Moses, came directly from God, straight to Moses. And so his face had this reflected glory in it. And even that reflected glory was too much for the Israelites. And so out of pity for them, he put a veil on his face to protect them. Um, and, and my silly, ironic mind imagines, imagines Moses being played by Jack Nicholson, who says, you can't handle the truth, like that great speech at, in the end of that movie, whatever it was. But, it, but it's, you can't handle the truth, is the theme of the veil over Moses' faith. Face. There is truth here, and I'm giving it to you, and, and yet you still can't handle it. And so we have to filter it. We have to, have to just tone it down a little bit so you can get it in measured doses. Now, Paul picks up that theme, and he flips it 
into this notion that is part of Paul's polemic against the kind of Jew he used to be. Because in Paul's experience, he read the Old Testament and he had an understanding of it, and it meant that the Christians were all wrong, and they were furthermore dangerous, and they needed to be persecuted because they were corrupting Judaism. And so Paul persecuted Christians and very famously had his Damascene conversion and and that's when Christ met him. Christ penetrated through ordinary experience and completely changed his understanding of what was going on, including his understanding of the Old Testament. And so when Paul saw this image of the veil on Moses' face, he went, that's exactly what it was like for me. I couldn't see the truth of what God was trying to say because a veil was over my mind. And my old colleagues, the veil is still over their mind because they can't see what I've been allowed to see because only in Christ has the veil been put aside. And finally, the gospel, the story of the transfiguration itself. You have this vision of glory, Christ on the mountain talking to Moses and Elijah. And, um, uh, and it's as if the veil had been lifted over Christ himself, that his normal earthly ministry, that, that, that Christ was veiled like Moses' face was veiled. And so on the mountain, the veil is taken off and they see the full glory of who Christ is. So there's the theme of the veil that runs through all three readings. Now, the, 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 my thinking and my reflection on it is that the problem of veils is deeper than these readings would suggest on their face. And there are hints of it in the readings themselves. But going back to Paul... When he is going after his former colleagues for being mistaken and misled, it reads like something on Twitter. It's hyperpartisanship of the first order. And I have the truth, and they're all wrong. And we've seen this times a thousand in the contemporary conversation. And so how does Paul know that the veil has been taken off of his own mind and it's those other people whose minds are still veiled. Um, And I think of the contemporary situation where we have Christians to this day who would quote this and say that people like Harwood Jones has the veil over his mind because he thinks gay people are okay or something like that. And we're the ones that have the truth. And so it's an easy place to put yourself in uh, to say, I'm the one with the unveiled face, and you're the one with the veil over your mind. So the problem of the veil is still there. And while, while the readings are true, that the journey of, the, of Christian faith includes an intellectual journey from falsehood to truth, and that there is grace in that journey which animates that process, and it is a process of veils being lifted from our mind. That is essentially part of the Christian journey. But the problem with veils is that we sometimes don't know that we're seeing things through a veil. We just think that's how things look. So how do we engage in that deeper problem of how do we know if the way we see things is the unveiled way or the veiled way? And the hints that the the veil problem has not gone away exist even within these readings because even Paul, when he's going on with this metaphor, he says... All of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as through a mirror, 
So even Paul has to admit that there's an imperfect quality to our knowledge of God, even for those of us who have had the veils lifted from our minds because we have met Christ, there's still a, a dim reflected quality in our own understanding because we're not done. We haven't gotten the whole truth of everything. We're still in process. So even Paul acknowledges the problem. And in the gospel, you have this full revelation of Jesus' glory, and Peter gets it wrong. Peter didn't know what he was saying. He said, well, I guess what that means is we just build tents here. We stay here forever. Well, that's clearly not the point of this revelation. And so you can be standing in the midst of a full revelation from God and still misunderstand what the point is. So the problem of the veils over our minds remains. And that, for me, is the subject of my reflection this morning. If we take this notion of veils seriously then we have to admit that this is a constant feature of our spiritual journey and indeed our human journey. Um, It was very hard to prepare this sermon uh, when my mind was preoccupied with Ukraine, for example. And I I had nothing but fog in my head and how, you know, where is this vision of glory um, in the midst of the contemporary situation today. I mean, the classic sermon preparation process is Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other, and, and there's, you know, very little that is holding together, except for this notion of being veiled, because we all know the first casualty in war is truth, and there are people on all sides of this conflict who are uh, highly intelligent, well-paid, and Uh, whose only job is to send information out that supports the war effort for various sides. So we have Russian information, we have Ukrainian information, we have the allies of Russia, the allies of Ukraine, NATO, America, Canada, everybody's in on it. And uh, we have to be very, very clear not to think that we are automatically the ones with the unveiled faces because we know that our side is the good guys. The veil remains, even if we're the good guys the veil remains. And so there's an intellectual humility that is called for for every person of faith to say, we are still in process. There is still some veil. We are still looking at truth dimly through a mirror. And the things that we hold true, we do hold true, but we are always open to correction, new ideas, and of course the work of grace to lend new perspective onto the situation. So the business of of trying to remove that veil, being, uh, being a product of grace more than intellect is my final thought for this process. We're, we're moving into Lent. And uh, something that was very hard for me to believe, but I, I believe it very firmly and life has proved it to be true, um, it was hard for me to hear it when I was in law school. And I was absolutely on the enlightenment journey of the, the way to truth is enlightened rational debate. And I have some propositions and I will explain those propositions to you and you will explain, explain propositions to me. And in that, that exchange of reason, the truth will filter its way out to the top. And when I was in law school, um, a very, very good lawyer, a guy named Jack London, who was on TV for some time, so you may even have heard of him. Uh, he was a very, very good courtroom lawyer. Um, and uh, he, <laughs> he was the one that explained this philosophy of uh, winning cases in court uh, called legal realism, which is you know, not idealism, which is my view, the idealistic view that a courtroom is a rational exchange, but a realistic view that says, in fact, the heart drives the brain. 
So if you really want to win your case, you make the judge like your client. And if the judge likes your client, the judge's own brain will work overtime to find the reasons to give your client the result that they're looking for. So your job as a lawyer is only to give enough rational explanation to give the judge something on which to hang their hat to go along with what their heart is driving them to do. And so it's the heart that drives the brain, and it's even more the case for very clever people because very clever people are good at convincing themselves of their own arguments. And, and so they are even more blind to the heart driving the, the brain. So in this journey through Lent, part of which is an intellectual journey from falsehood to truth, the, the death of falsehood, the death of the veils and all the things that come between us and the truth involves the transformation of the heart as an intellectual exercise. That the only way we are going to be able to hear what God is telling us is if we have cleared our heart from the things that cause us to ricochet back and forth from one idea to another. And in a wartime environment, um, this is very much on display. In a, in a wartime environment with social media, um, in which the emotional appeals are, are causing us to think in certain ways, um, the, the clarity of the heart is as important as the clarity of the mind. So as we move into Lent, we are reminded once again by the current state of affairs in the world, that sin is very much with us. And if we are honest, we know that sin is very much inside us as well as in those other horrible people. And if we take that seriously, then our main concern is the sin that's in here, not so much the sin that's out there. And if we are going to continue that journey of removing the veil from our minds and coming to what Christ is trying to say to us, then we have to uh, take up our cross, follow Christ. And that vision of Christ that we have all had, that we know we are moving towards God, that we, we have met Christ in some form, Christ has pierced the veil and come to us, and now it's for us to continue to work at that process so that in the fullness of time we come to the fullness of Christ's glory. This is all of our job, and as we move into Lent in this time, it seems more relevant than ever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Oh,